Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Hebrews 1, 3-14. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain." They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up, like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Megan. Now, American Christianity is often confused uh, by the un uh, by by the pop culture pro- portrayal of angels. Um, if you're old enough, in the '80s there was a TV show called Highway to Heaven, which basically portrayed angels as the dad from Little House on the Prairie. Right, And then in the 90s, there was a show called Touched by an Angel in which viewers encountered all two human angels serving as heavenly psychologists proclaiming a soothing message of love. And then in the 2000s, there was a TV show called Angel, but that one was a vampire angel who moved to Los Angeles to help people with supernatural problems. And then other images certainly are there. In my campus that I went to college, there was an angelic-looking figure with wings, uh, you know, on a woman wearing a toga, right? And then there's obviously the baby angel, right? We have a picture of that, I think, the baby angel that you often see uh, in different uh, uh, venues, or oftentimes children are referred to as angels, right? Oh, they're so cute. They're, They're like an angel. And I'm just like, that? No. No, they, they're not an angel. And uh, obviously, most famously, probably angel uh, in, in pop culture, Cupid, right? Uh, fat baby who flies around uh, shooting people with arrows to make them fall in love with each other. All of these are a far cry from how the Bible portrays angels. Now, before We jump into this text where it says that Jesus is much superior to angels, and you see angels referenced throughout the text. I think it'd be good for us to have just like a brief brief course on angelology, very brief. 
Uh, Al Mohler uh, says this. He says, the commercialized, cute, chubby, Cupid-like angels seen in get-well cards could not be further from the biblical portrait of angelic beings. When an angel shows up in scripture, people fall down in sheer terror. Just think about the response of the shepherds to the angelic visitation in Luke 2.9. Clearly, we need to recover a biblical doctrine of angels. Both the Old and New Testament make clear that angels are creations of God. While they may have distinct privileges and even extraordinary powers, they are by no means divine. Now, briefly, like what, what do angels do? What, what are their responsibilities and roles? So here's some of them. So angels are part of the assembly that is around God's throne worshiping. They're the ones that cry out in Revelation 4, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Angels are also messengers of God. When God is sending a message to someone to communicate, they're messengers. They're also witnesses of major events, witnesses of the birth of Christ, for example, Angels are also warriors. As we learned in Daniel chapter 10, that there are angels that are in this uh, waging war in spiritual battles that we don't see. Revelation even indicates that Christ will lead an angelic army in the last day to execute his just judgment. And then angels are God's agents. So they are sent on specific missions. God, for, for example, If you go back to the beginning of our Bibles, after Adam and Eve's sin, God sent an angel to do a job. After they were kicked out of the garden, what did he do? He placed an angel at the entrance of the Garden of Eden to exact vengeance on anyone who dared enter the Garden of Eden and try to taste of the tree of life. So there's just kind of a general overview. You've just taken, you know, a three-minute course on angelology. And it's good to know about angels. And in fact, if you want to know more about angels, I think Billy Graham, uh, who has gone home to be with the Lord, he wrote a book on angels that I read very early on in my Christian life. So just a biblical overview of angels. So you want more in-depth study, go ahead and study that. It's great to study, but let us never be more enamored with angels than we are of angels. Jesus, because that was was going on here uh, for the audience who got the book of Hebrews. There were a number of individuals that would have been enamored with angels because they they respected angels. They were both God's messengers and protectors. They were expecting an angel army to come and deliver them from the Roman oppression that was going on. And there's extra biblical literature that where we kind of learn uh, that that folks believed in personal angels or what some of us might call guardian angels uh, due to this fascination with angels that they had, the writer of Hebrews wanted to set the record straight. He wanted to make clear, and the, the very specific thing that he wanted to make clear was this, that Jesus is greater than angels. Don't be so enamored by these powerful creatures. Jesus is greater than angels. So there's, there's our background. Let's jump into the text this morning. Look at verse four. So Jesus, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent 
than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So Jesus is superior to the angels because he has a name. He's been given a name. And the important name isn't the name Lord, though obviously Jesus is acknowledged as Lord, given the name Lord, as we learned from Philippians 2 and other parts of Scripture. But the important name that differentiates Jesus from the angels is Son. Because angels are not God's children. They are agents, they're messengers, they're witnesses, but they're not the Son. And in Roman society... When a son became of age and when the father approved of him, the son would go through a ceremony and he would, would be received and given a name. Now, was the son already the son of the father? Absolutely. The son was the son of the father because he was born to the father as the son. But there was this ceremony that would happen as he came of age and he was received And when the son was given the name from the father, he would enter the father's occupation or his business. And nowadays, many of us don't follow in the footsteps of our fathers, do the things they do, or sons don't do the things that their fathers do. But back in this day, that was very commonplace to do. Like That was expected. You follow in the footsteps of the father. But to follow in his footsteps, to receive the inheritance, to be approved by the father... To be deemed ready to take over the business, you would would kind of be received and take on the name. And so this is what's happened with Christ. If you looked at Romans 4, it says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when was Jesus God's Son? Yes, Remember when he came, we heard declared, you know, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He was absolutely the son. God was pleased with him. But when he went to the cross and then was raised from the dead, there was this final approval that he perfectly fulfilled the law, obediently endured the cross. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to see that amazing truth that he's so different from the angels. He's clearly in a different category. I want to briefly mention, as it says in verse 5, it says, Today I have begotten you. There's many in cults who try to say that Jesus is part of God's creation, and they'll point to places like this. So they'll say, see, Jesus was begotten. That means that Jesus is part of creation. Well, as we studied last week, we know he was the creator, right? He created Everything was made through him. So he's, he's not part of creation, but he is exalted above creation. When we hear the word begotten, it's that God is the one responsible for bringing Christ on the scene, in the flesh. So he's the first among all humans. So that's what that that means. So Jesus has a greater name. Secondly, Jesus is worthy of worship. Look at verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's 
angels worship him. Angels aren't to be the one who are worshiped. Jesus is the one to be worshiped. Even in Revelation 19, when John encounters an angel, he encounters this glorious creature and he goes to worship him and the angel like, is like, stop, do not do that. Worship God. And that's what we see in heaven in Revelation 5. It says this, as John sees the vision, he says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. The angels worship. They may be powerful beings but they are created to worship and to serve the king because Jesus is worthy of worship. That's why we do worship every Sunday morning because Jesus is worthy of our worship. It's not just an exercise. It's not just tradition. All creation, including these powerful creatures, were meant to worship the king of kings. That's why we do what we do every Sunday. And our heart is that we would see Christ in the way that the writer of Hebrews is trying to point out Christ to us when we come and when we sing. That's why every Sunday morning when we're praying before church, we're praying, God, please remove the distractions so that we can come and we can worship just like the angels worship, just like all creation worships the king and like we will be worshiping for all of eternity. So Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus also has a greater status than angels. Look at verse 7. It says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Angels are ministers. They're servants of God's high court. Theologian F.F. Bruce said, angels are portrayed as executing divine commands with swiftness of wind and of strength of fire. You don't want to mess with angels, okay? Like the images that we saw on the screen are so far from the truth. If you encountered an angel, you would clearly not question if you thought you should mess with an angel, Though they are, they are lesser than Jesus, they aren't to be trifled with. When they appear in the pages of Scripture, people fall on their faces. That's what angels are. They are remarkable. But they pale in comparison to Christ. Even though they have this amazing job and they do things with amazing speed and ability and strength, they pale in comparison to Christ because look at verses 8 and 9. 
But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So though the angels do great things and they can run and do things quick and powerful, but Jesus is the one that's got the authority. He's got the throne. The throne that he sits on, that rule will never end. There will never come an election cycle. No one's going to ever uh, come and, and lead a coup to take over this king. His throne will last forever. And he has a scepter. He has a scepter in his hand indicating he's got authority and he executes that authority in righteousness. Angels are the ones that carry out his authority. They do things authoritatively, certainly when they show up, they do things with the authority of the Father, but that authority is given, and it's given by one individual, and his name is Jesus. So angels carry out that authority, but Jesus is the one that has the authority, and he's been anointed. Look at verse 9 in the second half. says, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He's been anointed with, with, with gladness, gladness like joy. As we'll learn in Hebrews 12, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is anointed and has the unique calling and has a greater status than angels. So friends, you need never question the ability of Christ. When you walk through trials, when there are situations in front of you that are difficult, don't ever let the enemy tell you Jesus isn't capable. That's why what's happening to you is happening to you. Now we've learned about how great angels are and Jesus is greater than them. He's the one who can speak and things come into existence. He's the one that speaks, and things get done. His angels do his bidding, so we need never question, because Jesus has a greater status. Jesus also has a greater existence than the angels. Look at verse 10. You, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. He creates. Now understand, as we've been going through this, each of these little sections, and I don't know how your Bible is organized, but you kind of see like some of these words are kind of indented a little bit. Well, there are quotes here from the Old Testament because all of the Old Testament points to Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is grabbing from the Old Testament and reminding the Hebrews, look, Jesus was talked about back here. This is pointing to him. There are realities that we're learning that are pointing to Christ, pointing to this reality. I mean, he even grabs from different parts of the Old Testament scripture. He grabs from the writings. There's like five quotes from the Psalms in just our text this morning. There's, there's two from the prophets. There's one from the law in Deuteronomy. But here, in this section, 
in verses 10, 11, 12, the author quotes Psalm 102. Now, we're not going to turn back and read through all of Psalm 102, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview. Psalm, in Psalm 102, in the first half, the psalmist, he's lamenting. He's sad. He's grieving. Why is he lamenting? He's lamenting because of he looks around and he sees human failure. He looks around and he sees nature decaying. He's, he's afflicted by others. And it goes on. The psalmist is struggling with his own sin and his own mortality. Do you find yourself in that place? Looking around and, and seeing disappointments, discouragements. You can relate to the psalmist who's writing Psalm 102. Richard Phillips says, these are cries that will find themselves on the lips of everyone who lives on this earth for any length of time. Our days do pass away like smoke and our bones do give way. Every one of us must reckon with the fact that death awaits us. Even as we live, we wither away like grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. And while we live, we too will know the taunts and the oppression of enemies we are too weak to oppose. Now that's the first half of Psalm 102. But then there's a turn in the second half of Psalm 102. The psalmist's heart changes, or rather the psalmist's heart is redirected. He stops lamenting for a reason, he, he stops lamenting because he lifts his eyes and he sees God. And that's the call here in, in this part of Hebrews, that we lift our eyes and that we would see Christ. So in verse 10, so let's lift our eyes. You, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Again, Jesus is the creator. Let your gaze be lifted up and see him as being the powerful one, the creator. He's not part of the creation like the angels. He is the creator. But it goes on. Look at verse 11. So the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. I mean, there's a, a picture here of, of a garment. I brought a garment from home. A favorite pair of shorts of mine that I'm no longer allowed to wear out in public because... You know, there's a, there's a few splotches of paint that may have come from this building. There's a hole. I, I think three out of four pockets don't actually contain things because when you put things in, they actually come out the bottom, right? This, this garment has been worn. It's been worn again. It's been used, and I wish they would last forever, but, but they do not. 
But the picture is one of a garment in reference to creation. And that garment is wasting away. But Jesus rolls it up. Jesus rolls it up. And he he makes it new. He's going to make all things new at, at one time in the future. He's going to make all things new. Even all, all these things wear out. The things that wear out, Jesus just rolls them up. But Jesus is left. He lasts forever. He does not change. We're the ones that change. He does not change. He's not continuing to grow. He's not continuing to learn. He knows everything. He does not change. As again, we'll learn in, uh, later on in the book uh, in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. No change. And those of you who are older, you're more aware that your bodies, you know, are decaying. Talk to a friend, my college roommate this week. He's aware. He's like, I don't do this anymore. I don't play this sport anymore. I don't do this anymore. I'm getting old. Yeah, we, we are aware. Our bodies are decaying. Jesus's don't. Jesus does not. But there's also going to be no destruction. There's going to be no death. Jesus is not hindered by seemingly insurmountable circumstances because Jesus doesn't get worn out. We all feel exhausted in our day for any number of reasons for things that are just carrying on. Jesus isn't worn out. He's not like, I'm done with this because I'm just so tired. Jesus can always be counted on. Nothing you encounter, absolutely nothing is too much for Christ. Jesus created all things. And he's going to endure to the end. And at times, it may seem like all is lost in life. Hardship and even death await us all. But the one who trusts in the Lord sees his eternal reign. We can see he is unchanging and unchangeable. He's unchanging and unchangeable. His character is unchanging and unchangeable. That's where we find our hope in him. And fifthly, Jesus has a greater role. His job is more significant than the angels because Jesus' rule is not challenged. Look at verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In ancient times, it was pretty common if a kingdom was conquered for the kingdom that was conquered, the king of that kingdom would come to the conquering king and he would kiss his feet. Just as a sign of submission, they'd been conquered. Or sometimes that king would come and the conquering king would put his foot on the neck of the king. I hope you've never had to experience someone's foot on your neck, but you aren't in a very easy position. 
But think of that image of submission. Jesus' enemies are in that position. Lest we ever think that that there's this this cosmic war going on and we're just wondering, like like some boxing match, oh, he got some good licks in and oh, oh, the enemy got some other licks in and oh, he's going back. It doesn't look like that. His, uh, His enemies are under his feet. Every enemy of Jesus will be defeated. Sickness, sin, worldly powers, the devil, death, Theologian Richard Phillips said during Jesus' earthly ministry, he advanced into the ranks of his enemy, casting out demons, purifying leprosy, bringing healing to the sick, exposing hypocrisy, exposing, opposing false teaching, humbling the proud, cleansing the temple of money changers, and all the while calling sinners to faith and repentance. It is especially in the extension of the gospel that he now overcomes his foes as men and women come to saving faith in him. In the end... He will have no enemy left standing. No enemy will be left standing. Think about any number of war movies that you may have seen or the Chronicles of Narnia movies where when the battle is over, there's this peace and relaxation and someone walks up to the one on the ground and lifts them up and gives them water and bandages up their wound and there's peace there. And that's why that's the image that we get when we think about what's going to happen in Revelation. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's going to come a time where it's going to be clearly done. And that's going to be the scene on that day. The tears wiped away, never, never to return. That's the role that Christ has. Christ, our Lord, sits enthroned at God's right hand until his enemies become his footstool. Friends, as you are here this morning, have you trusted in Christ or are you still his enemy because you've chosen to reject him? Don't reject Christ. Though he is powerful, And one day we will all bow the knee and call him Lord. You can call him Lord today because he went to the cross for you. He's not some dictator who has harsh towards you. No, he's already sacrificed himself for you. So would you trust in him today? So Jesus rules. He has a greater role. Angels serve but they do serve in amazing ways. Look at the last verse. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The the phrase sent out there has an emphasis in the original text in the Greek that angels are being sent out to help God's people one after another, like sending out waves. No, we're sending out this one and we're going to send out some more. The Lord is busy on your behalf. Unless you think that's not happening, listen to this account from John G. Patton. 
Scottish missionary, a story that happened about 100 years ago. He and his wife, the couple, found themselves surrounded by cannibals. The cannibals were intent on taking their lives. That terror-filled night, they fell to their knees and prayed that God would protect them. Intermittent with their prayers, the missionaries heard the cries of the savages and expected them to come through the door at any moment. But as the night went on and then as the sun began to rise, to their astonishment, they found that the natives were retreating into the forest. The couple's hearts soared to God. It was a day of rejoicing. The missionaries bravely continued their work. And a year later, the chieftain of the tribe that was coming at them that night, the chieftain of the tribe was converted. And as the missionary spoke with him, he remembered the horror of that night. He asked the chieftain why he and his men had not killed them. The chieftain replied, who were all those men who were with you? The missionary answered, why? There were no men with us. There were just my wife and myself. And the chieftain began to argue with him and said, there were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling about your house so we could not attack you. You may not see the heavenly host that the sun is sending out. But he is busy on your behalf. He has assigned his angels to minister to you, sometimes to strengthen you in your time of weakness, or sometimes to protect you when danger comes, or sometimes to minister to you in your time of need. Regardless, he's more than adequate to meet your needs, and he will use his angels. So we don't need to look to the angelic creatures as being what's most amazing. We look to the one who gives the command, who is, who is confidently seated on his throne because he's greater than the angels. He's greater than everything. So let's trust him with all that we are and all that we've been given. Let's pray. Father, Father, we are in awe at how you have created these beings to do mighty works. Lord, help us right now to be most in awe of the one who speaks and sends them out. The one who speaks and things come into existence. The one who has that kind of power, yet humbled himself to go to the cross for us. 
Father, help us to be aware of that today and each and every day as we encounter the challenges and trials of life, as we encounter uncertainties, as we encounter things that we aren't encountering now that will come up unexpectedly at some point, whether today or in a week or in a year, we don't know. Lord, may our conviction be rock solid of how great Christ is in the place that he holds. So continue to remind us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.